Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a shame when I try Jennifer Castle is a remarkable songwriter, musician, and singer currently based in Elgin County in Ontario. Born and raised in Toronto, where she and her family lived until just recently, Castle is a bold yet enigmatic presence in music, writing honest, philosophical, and deeply personal songs, which have been released over five albums, initially under the moniker Castle Music, but these days under her own name. Following 2014's critically acclaimed Pink City, Jennifer has recently released the haunting, multi-layered Angels of Death, which is out via both E-Day Fix and Paradise of Bachelors. She drove to Guelph's CFRU 93.3 FM recently, where she and I had a good deep talk about her work, life, and Angels of Death. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound locations in Ottawa and Toronto, and of course, flexible monthly pledges by listeners like you at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, this is the 404th episode of Creative Control, featuring Jennifer Castle with your host, me, Vish Khanna.
Jen, how are you? I'm okay. You took my role. I normally say hello first, but you actually, uh, you invited me to my own show. That's okay. No problem. Welcome to Guelph. Thank you. Now you were trying to figure out if you'd been here before. Is anything coming, becoming to more the radio st- To the radio <laughs> station itself? I don't know. No. But I've been to Guelph. You've been to Guelph many times. That's right. As far as I know. Well, welcome to, to Guelph. Now, where are you coming from today? I'm coming from Elgin County, where I live, out by London, Ontario. Okay, okay. And how long have you lived there? I've lived there for around two years. Two years? Yeah. I know you as a Toronto person. I know myself as a Toronto person. It's a conundrum. (laughs) People are, it seems, uh, particularly artistic people, seem to be leaving Toronto. That's what I've noticed. But I don't know if you consider yourself part of some exodus or if you think that even that perception is overblown like why i can only ask you obviously you can't speak for anyone but yourself Mm. but why leave toronto the the hub of the canadian music industry i know the city i was born well i had a landlord that told us we had to go and um that they were going to change the rent and their family was going to move in and we were already lived up at keel and eglinton and that was such a beautiful place. That's where my son started school. Right. Um, and I became attached. And I thought, I can't keep becoming attached to Toronto neighborhoods because I keep <laughs> having to leave them. They become really expensive. Right. Um, and that was the last one that we could be in, really. That was the last one we could afford. So we jumped to the country. The country. So, what kind of? What is your new dwelling exactly? Is it? A, are you on a farm? Are you? Um, I live in an apartment near the beach. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's the country. An apartment near the beach. Well, Elgin County is really rural, but uh, there's Saint Thomas, uh, Saint Thomas, which is kind of a bigger city, maybe the same size as like Orangeville right. or something. Okay. Um, there's Port Stanley, which is a village. There's lots of little tiny, tiny rural communities, uh, Sparta, Elmer, uh, Fingal. And then, and so there's these little villages and then they're all linked by lots of agricultural um, farm presence. So I think of it as the country, but I guess I live in a village. You live in a village. You left a, a major metropolis to live in a village. Mm-hmm. What's that been like? What's that transition been like for you to go from, you know, the hustle, bustle, the humanity, mm-hmm. the sheer humanity of it all to, I assume, a slower pace? Yeah, it is a slower pace um, in terms of like pe- my pedestrianism. Like I don't bump hmm. into people and I'm not out on the street. One of the things that I first moved to when I moved to where I am now via St. Thomas um, was like you don't really walk around like people would be like why are you walking around like is your car broken like poor her you know (laughs) people aren't out and about in the same way Um, that took me off guard because that's a real sense of keeping company like being with people but with you're not necessarily with them but you're around them all the time in the city strangers even strangers and just yeah you really are a part of this thing that's bigger than you and 
Um, so maybe a little isolating to move out there. And I think I went through, I s still think I am uh, negotiating my own isolation and what isolation is purposeful and useful and self-created and what isolation stems from the fact that I'm, you know, in a r rural area. Um, and also I, there was lots of things. There was lots of things. Um, Oh my gosh, it's such a big conversation. No, I know. Um, uh, no, I, and I can imagine, like you say, yeah. your relationship with your own isolation is fascinating too. Often we hear of artists who are from big cities going on retreats. You know, they right. they head to a cabin or a cottage to mm -hmm. to to pen their latest opus or whatever mm -hmm. it is they're doing. They they need to get away mm -hmm. to find that that sort of solitary mm -hmm. mode. Mm -hmm. You just upended your life mm -hmm. in a sense to to do this. I mean, mm -hmm. it's one thing to have your landlord situation, your housing situation be taken from you in the city. But I, I mean, I know other people in Toronto who've experienced similar things and they just moved to other parts of Toronto. Something, this is a seismic shift. Mm -hmm. you, you felt compelled to leave. Well, also, you know, I want to one day own something and, you know, I don't always want to feel at the mercy of um, another person's plans. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, part of that was also just a family decision and, and like, raising somebody that I want to have a little bit more control over how th what that looks like. Um, in terms of isolation, that's something I have no trouble finding wherever I am, even if I'm in a very big city. I've been, I've been wrestling with that trait, uh, that sort of withdrawn nature of myself since I was a very young kid. Um, so that's something that I can do. Usually I'm finding ways to try to integrate and keep myself really integrated in a healthy way and mm -hmm. within my community and not withdraw. With like, Isolation has never been something I've had to seek. It's, I can find it even in a room with others. So it's weird. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I have to kind of make sure I don't get too much of in my life. So I, 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 and that's maybe one of the reasons why the city is also really helpful is because you're really integrated yeah. with other people just by being there. And so I kind of had to be like, geez, I sure do. Like, I can't really be prone to like withdrawal, eh? <laughs> like I said aloud to no one. <laughs> so has the, I know it's hard to tangibly pinpoint the impact of such a move on, on you as a person. It's been, what'd you say? It was two years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm curious, does this relationship with isolation, did this move uh, away from Toronto to a, a more quiet form of life, did that impact <coughs> your songwriting on Angels of Death, per se? Um, well, I mean, I wrote, well, I was sort of living in a church at the time that when I was writing it, the church it was recorded in. Um, I mean, I don't know. You don't, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I Like like I said, I, I can really get into my zone. So that's that's okay. No matter where you are, you can find that place. I mean, it's going to happen inevitably. I'll, I can, I can find my way to where I want to go, and that seems to happen for, for me. So the church, I think, played a role. The church I mean, did. I think the concepts okay. that kind of follow around the church were very, uh, that like sort of concepts that fo that are close to the, the idea of a church anyway help, um, were like food for thought. But, you know, I was really in this, in a place where I was writing Pink City before. I was really in a writerly spot then, too. And then I had, you know, had work through 
Toronto Dance Theater, and that really mm-hmm. kept me in a really creative writing spot. And you know, I, when I was on tour with Destroyer, previous to when I had moved, and previous to when I'd started writing this record, I knew when I got back from that tour, I was like, I wanna, I wanna just get back into writing. I mean, it's something that I crave when I don't get to do because it is, it's like I miss that world. So I just kind of landed in the in the country and whatever was around me just kind of got pushed to the side and I immediately just went to to be in an, into a writing spot with so my how piano. do you how do you get into that do you get into that zone is that zone come to you I don't want to get too mystical about it but when you say you can find that zone it suggests you're looking for it but I also know sometimes with muses they kind of come to you so to speak I mean it sounds like what you're saying is you were in these whether you were playing with Destroyer, whether you were working with the dance company, you were yeah. in these creative realms yeah. that were inspiring you, yeah. and you were operating on that level. But yeah. then when you retreated from all of those things and were there, I mean, do you find that? Do you find, like, this stuff just comes? Or do you find that you have to sit down and concentrate and <laughs> Well, I Well, I think it's really so. I think there's something more sort of self-satisfying and uh, self-indulgent that happens, which is that it's a based in play, and I mean, a kid can play anywhere, mm-hmm. and I feel like I just play anywhere that oh, I land. Oh, I see. Okay. And so when people, when you know, it's how you look at it. You know, yes, I find the focus. I really wrestle with the concepts. I write them out. I edit. I. But that is, those aren't the words I use. If you saw me, I'm playing music. I'm just playing. I. It doesn't become boring. There's times where I just jump off the piano stool, and I'm like, oh my god, I have to like go for a walk or something. Like, oh, oh, I've been like because beating my head up, or, or just like I'm like stuck in a wheel and mm, I'm like mm. trying something and you can really get caught melodies are so uh, enticing and you can really get caught in that or you're ruminating on one thing and it's not moving that's all just like playfulness to me sure so I I just feel like um, I'm playing and in terms of muses I'm not sure I don't know if there's visiting that way I might talk about them that way I feel like or, you do or yeah. speak about them in trying to always describe maybe I feel like one of the things I tend to do is like describe why I'm going away like or why I want to withdraw because I never want it to feel offensive to anyone I might be withdrawing from so you know I might try to find like nice ways of putting it but I'm not sure I don't really feel like I get visited like I've never really like seen a ghost or anything or like had you know I'm not I I'm a mystical person but I just like I just like the the thing you do when you're being creative when you're writing I like working it out. I mean, it's like an itch you just scratch. and Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's very I, playful to me. I want to touch upon your uh, conjuring of ghosts and spirits just because your record is called Angels of Death mm-hmm. in a moment. But there was something you said that I want to home in on in, in, in the context of this record and, and the writing for this record. Um, you said a few things there that jogged my memories of the, f- the first time you were on the show. Uh, which was uh, in relation to the dance piece you were working on. <laughs> and uh, you are hitting everything in the studio I'm possible. every single it's thing. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, uh, you should have seen it when Inspector Clouseau was on the show. He just, oh uh, that was ridiculous. Anyway, um, the dance piece uh, inspired you, as I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, to explore more improvised writing, more, ex- more free association, in the moment sort of writing and singing uh, because I think you were primarily scoring the dance pieces with kind of um, stream of consciousness uh, mm-hmm. lyrics mm-hmm. and 
And then you said something, and so I want to maybe touch back upon that experience and whether it's it's had a lasting impact on you, because I know that was of a time and of a place. But you also said something about the church um, and the things to do with the church mm-hmm. that might have informed um, this record or the writing uh, of this record. And that's kind of vague. I'm just curious what mm-hmm. you mean. I kind of know what you mean. The church has, yeah. stands for certain things. Well, uh, I mean, when, when, we, when we got to the church... Um, we literally were pulling out pews, you know, pulling out were, pews yeah. to con- to convert it into a space you could live. I don't know. The word pew comes up on the record. I don't usually think about pews. I have to just say that it probably, you know, it, you know, everything when you're when you're writing or when you're being creative, everything becomes um, fodder, uh, fodder yeah. or materials to use. Um, so your environment ends up playing a part and maybe that's why you know you hear of writers going away or trying to you know change location or things like that to try to spark different ingredients yeah sure cooking in other countries in that way you're you're trying to find other spices you haven't used Um, right of course so i i think the ingredients in that way are around there you know um I think there's lots of them that kind of land within that record. And I, being the type of person that writes with stream of consciousness, will honor those because I think that the points you drop that are real help ground maybe concepts that, you know, are more ethereal. And so I constantly love to drop my, I call it my GPS, you know, I'm like, just drop your GPS in your songs. They might not have to do with the big picture, what you're trying to get at, but they're going to help ground. So all those little bits of information, can I can hear them too in Angels of Death. I can hear some of those little clues as to where I was okay. or, or, you know, um, where I was at the time when I was writing. And I like, I like those. Okay. They're like my map in some way. A map uh, to a time and place. Just to you. a time and place, yeah. yeah. And they just ground the writing. And they're just the, they honor the stream of consciousness, which, again, with the work I did with Amy Henderson in Toronto Dance Theatre, um, it was to you know write, and you just say uh, you just say anything, or you don't kind of judge what you're saying, and and um, that practice was really w- still with me, and so I like that stream of consciousness writing. I trust. Well, that. there's a letting go involved in that. Yeah. Whereas if you are, I don't know if you've had this experience as a writer or as an artist, where you have been um, maybe. I don't know if you can be self-aware to know that you've been maybe heavy-handed with certain aspects of your work, and that's an experience like the one you had with Amy uh, was a form of letting go and mm-hmm. and just trusting the mm-hmm. moment. My understanding on this record is, um, you know, you recorded with a live band, mm-hmm. and a lot of the takes that we hear on this record is, my, as far as I understand it, please again correct me if I'm wrong, like they're kind of they're whatever the take was at the mm-hmm. time, and there's some warts in there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Oh, sure. There's parts where I hear that I still, you know, cringe, or I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, that could have been perfected in a studio situation. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but what that the But that's a form of letting go. Of course, yeah. And that was, you know, that was also a desire to do that because also I think in reaction to Pink City which was a very more carefully mm-hmm. considered ensemble record of which you know we really protected these bed tracks that existed and even though I bring an imp- I improvise every time I play the guitar once the bed track was there we would honor these bed tracks and people would come and kind of you know color them in and 
contribute and it was a very considered and fine balanced experience whereas angels of death that wasn't the reaction that wasn't what i wanted to have i knew even when i was like oh i want to write something i put the band together in my mind i knew where i wanted to do it i knew that i wanted to put myself on the spot as a singer um and I knew that I wanted to do something different than Pink City that I hadn't done before and that I'd sort of achieved this sort of consideration with the previous record and I wanted to blow past that with this record and and, and um, do something I hadn't done. So that felt very risky to me was to get this band because I've never quite shared the responsibility of expressing a sentiment I usually you know you, you ha- I'll handle that right. like myself right. like I'll, I'll express my sentiment on my own no I'm just being a, sh- a <laughs> shithead yeah you can say um, that yeah you can say that if you like I was like a shh <laughs> we are in a radio station protected by a, a broadcasting license so I right. appreciate your hesitation but right. this isn't necessarily what this uh, you yeah. know what this is for so if you need to say a word like that one which you notice okay. I'm not saying it I know I'm just trying I mean, to offer just su- I'm just being myself being supportive. I'm trying to be supportive yes um, yeah no I just wanted to like do something that was a reaction that was the artist reacting and being like well I certainly don't want to rest on a laurel here or you know I need to do something I haven't done so that was to me record with a band but okay so this is something that you're saying you, you haven't done I think I also read, and, and knowing you uh, and knowing your work, I think these kinds of um, freeform, uh, liberated uh, approaches aren't things you've never done before. No. You, the, the, in some ways, you're... I'm always some, kind of doing them well, in a way. Haven't you approached other records of your own as, as yourself or Castle Music in sort of a similar way of like, I'm going to just, this is what it is? I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. that's like kind of the over yeah that arc is stronger than whatever small arc I'm approaching yeah. it's just to feel inspired enough to make a record or to contextualize my record or to create my own small design challenges of which then you achieve or don't achieve right. or don't achieve um, for better or for worse but yeah w- the way I approach it probably from the get go any- well the first release I ever released was a live recording yeah exactly so I mean that was my gesture from the get go has been like there's like I don't want to release something that's veiled I you know my first thing will just be the medium is the message it's that person that's standing on stage with the guitar what is she saying or what and what mistakes happened and what mistakes didn't and what vibrato mm. came out that doesn't come out in the studio or what nervousness played a part in the in the delivery of that song or what so uh, that was like I couldn't figure out what to release until I heard Castle Music Live at the Music Gallery and played that show and said well I'll release that because it's it's fine enough and it's inclusive of the sort of person you know and not it was just as I had to just kind of be at ease with it it put myself on that spot and it kind of curtailed any perfectionism that maybe I would want to. You're, you you're kind of alluding to like varnish, you know, like the kind of ways yeah. people glossy up whatever yeah. it is or edit something. Uh, and that strikes me as maybe you having a uh, an interesting relationship with mediation of any kind. Do you find like we're in a podcast realm now okay. as we're speaking in a, in a radio show realm. Well, one of the things I often contemplate about this whole thing, this medium that we're currently engaged in, is that I think that it emerged in a out of a space where people didn't quite trust what they mm. were hearing. 
as being unfettered, as mm -hmm. being um, true mm. and honest expression. It felt like everything was packaged together and cleaned up. And what I've heard from other shows and on some level with this show uh, is, is this kind of freedom. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, so I just wonder if this approach, um, I, I guess I'm wondering where your approach to that spirit uh, maybe comes from, if you can kind of think about that. Like, do you remember the first time you heard something or saw something and thought, that's kind of bullshit. Like, they just kind of made that <laughs> into something that they thought was presentable. And I don't think that's r right necessarily. I think I want the true and honest expression. I'm not asking you to think no, about No, I didn't I didn't I didn't react to things that way. Um certainly when I started playing guitar um and became like a songwriter or whatever, I didn't see myself in a lot of music and I didn't I didn't publish any music for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I learned and was just like no, no. It was when I kind of discovered the improvisation community in Toronto that I suddenly saw myself within that community and then realized that what I was the the tree I was barking up was um not maybe was more improvised based and that be and that that unlocked like a whole realm of possibilities for me because I kept hearing shortcomings like for example my sense of timing or my uh, that I really loved these strange notes just around the notes or there were all of these things that I couldn't fit in to. Oh, I, I couldn't see, see where they, those because I, I didn't you know I'm not like a big crazy music like head and I don't like listen to everything and I didn't wasn't listening to like every cool band you know I was just like plugging away in my life and then like literally saw guitar in a second hand store and was like I think I'm gonna buy that like on a whim and then started writing music and when I started recording music on my four track there was just it was nonsense it was literally like nonsense I kept pushing the play uh, forward the playfulness forward and it, it kept eclipsing the song almost like all you'd hear was like this person that was just making all sorts of music uh -huh. and it just I never shared it with people because I was like kind of was like geez can't you just play the song castle like or something like why, why do you have to like to, to, uh, unassemble it while you play it almost and then I really then when so when I found the improvised community, I became sort of a student of that and was like, oh, I am a student of that. That's what I'm doing. Right. And then I started to go forward with confidence, and um, that was a really special moment. Actually. Can you do you mind sort of name checking some of the uh, that improvised community? Mm -hmm. Well, like, I'm literally, like I walked into a silt show. Right. I, I came okay. back from I came back from living in Vancouver. Um, where I had been doing home recordings for the first time in my life, as you can, it was back when Vancouver was like affordable and like you could like. When have was a, that? Well, back in the forties, like no, on commercial. Know yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, like on, you could live. I lived yeah, on commercial, true. and you know there was it was seen like I had time to do this, and so I had and space. You know, I lived in an apartment at the time with an extra room in it. Wow. And you know that was unheard of that there, there's like this room that you could make music in. So um, yeah, I came home. Uh, and that night went to the Victory Cafe to see an old friend that I'd gone to high school with who was a bartender there. And the Silt were playing upstairs. And he was like, you should go check up the band upstairs. And I walked upstairs and listened to them. And halfway through, I was like, who is this? And they said, it's the Silt. And I had met Ryan Driver before, um, before I'd gone to away to Vancouver. I met him in my early 20s. Um, and I was like, oh. 
holy cow, that changed everything. And then from there, I became a big fan of the silt. I became a big fan of uh, Drumheller and uh, the Reveries and... Um, so the, the Rat Drifting The Rat crew, Drifting Eric Cheneau, Ryan Eric Driver. Eric Ryan. They Doug all Tealy, really... And yeah. Doug Taylor was a huge... Doug Taylor and I started making music together like really soon after that. Right. And he invited me to be... Um, him, Josh Thorpe, and Jason Benwell invited me to be the drummer in the band Everybody Gets Sick. And that was really amazing and fully improvised bass and scary for me, very scary. But at the same time, I was playing music with um, a group of women called Fox the Boombox. And that was kind of improvised, too, and very, like, hyper-feminine and all of these, like, crazy rock and roll things. So that all just kind of happened at once. Um, but there was this really strong articulation of improvisation for me that as soon as I f discovered that that was a thing I was like I like that thing so <laughs> what was it exactly I think you've touched upon it pretty well there but when you say that this altered you or or actually beyond all I mean it altered you but it gave you an entry point into music that you didn't see before yeah I just was it because of the glossy side of things seeming alien to you uh, like the kind of perfect kind of music or well I think that there's this real sort of push for well maybe at the time for me for in when you know in my early 20s there was a strong squeezed feeling that I ought to be a really polished female singer songwriter and you know there was lots of offers to polish up what I was doing and to bring them you know bring it and there was lots of examples of these like one, two, three, four, and strum it out, and we're a song, and this is happening. And I was just like, no, I don't certainly see myself in that. Before I saw myself in improvisation, I saw myself in, in blues music and sort of the, the constant rumination of blues music. And the, um, but that stems back to, you know, black music, mm -hmm. and um, that can even be further, you know. I remember taking a music ethnological course. Music ethnological? Ethnogra ethnographical, maybe? Ethnographical, thank you. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, kind of learning about the sentiments of the individual voice, say, for prison workers, like why it was important to sing just, you know, why it was never this unified choral voice, but it was a voice that in, uni in, in its unified, uh, you know, all singing together and each voice being heard as these forms of like resistance, of these vo forms of finding individuality and that really sticking with me, this this sense to be an individual yeah. and to like bring a voice, however wary, however, um, you know, or, or with resistance and make sure that's present. And that was something that really stuck with me, you know. Okay. So that was like really important to me too. Like I was very much moved by blues music. Right. And um, and I, I don't get tired of the riffs, you know, <laughs> in the same, you know. Sure. I don't get tired of the riffs. I don't get tired of the sentiments. You know, I'm like, you can work a sentiment over for as many years as you want. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to do. So you are approached, uh, people who are seeing you play uh, this kind of improvised music, so to speak, are, are saying, hey, I can fix that for you. Uh, we can fix this. <laughs> yeah, we can fix that. We can fix that somehow. Um, I'm just curious because even in my description of, of the of the scene that you were outlining, I, I mentioned three dudes. Um, did you feel like you had uh, more of a space as, as as a woman in the improvised music world in Toronto than you might have? Some been? of my heroes were there. Michelle yeah. McAdory yeah. had found her way through that. Um, 
uh, Alison Cameron, you know, Renee Lear and the work she was doing as a videographer and like a, a documenter of that scene really inspired me and continue. The people that have come out of that scene still continue to inspire me. Yeah. Ila Craig and Victoria Chung, you yeah. know, Healing Power Records picked up a lot of the places, a lot of the sentiments that Rat Drifting, you know, if they came out of the same f- club, the Transac yeah. and, you know, those, you know, those players and that sentiment uh, still is like what I gravitate towards. And a lot of the women that I play music with are from those places. That, that place is okay. Yeah, where so, that's okay, and that's a good thing to do. So there's <laughs> there's a, it's likely that it was potentially a more, uh, when I hear improvised music, I, I do think of um, a progressive art form. And I, it sounds to me like what you're saying is it seemed to be in its ideology, in its um, in its openness to whoever wanted to do it, uh, it, it seemed like it was a, a good space, like a good space for people who mm. didn't have It's like people's another. places. Right. Go, it's, it's like a good place to go and be a person, a people with all of your mess and all of your, all of you can that, fit into th- that. This sounds like it could be a blurb for the Transac. It's the people's, it's the people's <laughs> bar. I think we already know that. The, the Transac's like, we know! <laughs> I, I, I feel like that, that whole uh, contingent of people, that whole... Uh, era of music in Toronto is is somewhat. Um, it's not. No, I don't want to say it's um, underappreciated because I think the people who are, I don't even know what that means anymore these days. Uh, I, I use that term sometimes on the show. And underappreciated. I, yeah, because I mean I know what it means, but I feel like everything's a little bit underappreciated. And so. oh, and ta- and also totally has forum yes. with the internet, so it's a weird place. Exactly. For- like I just I can't stress how important that the scene you're describing was to Toronto music generally. Mm-hmm. And so it's heartening to hear that you you came out of that. Do you think like improvised music is not taken seriously uh, enough though on some level like like you you got that impression from the people saying we can like we can let's just let's let's home in on something here and mm-hmm. make it a song. Yeah. Uh, like why do people mistrust because we've been talking about improvisation. Let's commodification, I think. Yeah, they I don't mean, know I how to sell it. I think it's just genuinely, like, let's commodify this. And mm-hmm. that is seen as a compliment, but I've always been uh, shied away from that, that, and I've always questioned those sorts of things, however, whether I'm just feeling those questions or articulating those questions. And yeah. I think that people really do want you to find a genre and want to commodify you, and that should ought to be seen as a compliment. Right. But I don't find that that much of a compliment and also have never wanted to really do that. Although I certainly am finding comfort in shining up my own songs as I go. You're making records that are, uh, they are vaguely more, they are comparably more conventional. Oh, definitely. But not, but they're still you. And yeah. Yeah. But I, as I become more equipped with the tools to express myself in those situations, they, yeah. you know, um, I am an artisan. Hopefully I'm getting better at what I do as I go. Yep. Like that's what we want from our artisans. <laughs> that's, you know, I certainly am not going to buy a table from a carpenter that's getting worse. No, no, you no. Know, I, you I, just I, want them to get, so I. It's I, an interesting, it's an interesting comparison to make because I do think in the long arc of a musician's career, as you know, probably following whomever you follow, a long career has peaks and valleys and Absolutely. and missteps and, and, Absolutely. uh, Certainly some of the artists that we both love um, Mm -hmm. who've made 20, 30 records, there's always some kind of like 
thing where you're like, I didn't. That uh, phase. That didn't really work out right. as well as the other stuff. And, mm-hmm. and somehow they come out of that or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't I'm reevaluating that too, because maybe that's all just. I wasn't, in my case anyway, these records that are made, you know, by artists who can make 30, 40 records. I wasn't around for the time that right. those records were made. I don't know. I can't. I'm, I wasn't a witness to it. Right. Um, so I don't know what was going on yeah. in the world, right? Whereas someone like Dylan, for example, like I have been around and I was, I got certain records when they came out. Right. And that has, those records have a way more profound effect on me probably than right. his supposed greatest records, sure. right? Like, I mean, anyway, that's a whole, other, that's a whole other thing. No, but it's, <laughs> a, I mean, it's, well, I think that a lot of artists make records for themselves and so they make like I know that I do I make the record for myself first I write the song for myself first that's, that's a valid and yeah. so but if the if you're of the same time when that person maybe made the record for themselves and maybe if that person's you know using tools to drop their own person's personal experience into those songs then you might relate to that you suddenly have a shared context even without even knowing it exactly and that goes a long way for sharing you know that's just another element of sharing mm-hmm. at that point and sharing is caring now. <laughs> <laughs> no it's <laughs> true cut it it's drop tr- it on that <laughs> uh, I my understanding is that <laughs> Angels of Death uh, was actually spurred on by a tragedy right is that well accurate? I mean I Tragedies of When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Big word. And Mm. I was, there was, you know, a few sad things that happened. And one of them that I've talked about with this record was that um, our family dog was, was, uh, was killed. But I also, in the exact same breath, recognized that size of the tragedy was one of which I was able to have complete capacities while I, you know, went through. Yeah. So there's tragedies I've been through and there's tragedies I've witnessed other people's to go through where sometimes you don't have your full capacities to be a writer in those moments and nor should you. There's yeah. all encompassing moments and right. this wasn't an all encompassing moment. So I had my wits about me and was also writing, wanted to be writing and, and, um, things sort of took shape shortly after that. Um, and I was able to to crystallize a sentiment which I was thinking, which also I think had a lot to do with turning 40. Mm-hmm. And that Me too. Was that, yeah. I think you and I are the same age. Yeah. yeah. Are you? You're of the dragon? I, uh, 1976? Uh, oh, no, I'm 77. Oh. I'll be 41 soon. Oh, I'm well, getting old. Keep 
keep going. I, I didn't realize. That. Aren't we the same? Are you? Wait. No, I'm 76. You're, you're 76. I'm 77. Okay, I don't, I'm not the year. I don't know. What, what am I the year of? I don't know. You're like Bruce Lee, and I don't even know who I, I am. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So you, I, why I, would you I'm care about other years? I'm a dragon. I That's exactly only right. Care okay. About I'm myself. sorry. I didn't realize that. Okay. I'm a dragon. It's hard. <laughs> I'm burning so you, this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Visha's like, get out. <laughs> it's hot in here. So you turned forty, and well, I think there's a. I think that um, you know that you know too young to die was no longer maybe as you know there's this youth thing that it's like oh gosh no they were taken too soon I felt like okay me and a lot of the people I know are getting older and Mm -hmm. we're starting to go past the point where anything's a given like that are you know all of our you know lives are just these givens now and we're going into this other phase where I think there might be some goodbyes on the in the horizon, and I want to go long. The sentiment is of an endurance runner who wants to go long. I, I've said since I had my son, I'd love to live to be 100. There's something so exciting to me. My yeah. grandmothers both lived well into their 90s, and you know it's inspiring, and I, I really do want to go long. But I knew that in understanding that, that there would be, I was putting myself in a position of which I'd have to witness some that not everybody gets to go long. And so I just wanted to say that at the brink of that moment was that I I was going to try to make peace. And that was why I called it Tomorrow's Morning. I'm going to try to make peace with what the next phase may be about. It's a very um, astute observation. It's a very uh, reasoned up, uh, observation to make. It's kind of stuff that... I'm dealing with myself now. Like it's a weird thing. You and I both have young kids, and um, and we had them. I guess when we were in our 30s, um, or yeah, we were in mm-hmm. our 30s, right? Yeah, I was 31. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we had our kids, and then um, and then you know they're coming up, and you've got your hands full with that, and then I don't know about your situation, but like my 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 own parents are starting to get older and. Mm. Um, experience uh, health issues and and there's a decline imminent uh, as you say mm. and it's stuff that you don't think about generally no uh, and now, but until you're forced to well I think that's part of being youth is that you don't need to think about that and nor do I think you should I certainly wasn't walking around thinking about that in my 20s and 30s I'm I'm I was more uh, omnipotent than that and you know that's what youth is for and I don't you know I'm not trying to dampen you know that that's but just I'm it, like, recognizing maybe that I'm not in that particular role anymore and that you start to think about it when it starts to get up in your face I know and that's <laughs> the, but it's also I will say the truest signal I've had I, that I'm old. Er. Well, sometimes the truest signal is your young child. And you go, uh, and your older parent, where you go, oh, well, oh, wait. My, but <laughs> I my, know what this means. I don't know if you've had this experience. My kids don't necessarily make me feel old. Er. I keep saying older. We're 40. Uh, <laughs> so we're not, we're older. Uh, my kids don't make me feel old. I think it's that my parents make me feel older like seeing them go through things and that's where I'm at with it and and so when you tomorrow's morning which for those who can't see it or or have not heard the song is is morning to mourn not 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 tomorrow morning but to mourn and and 
Yeah, it's a hard... I just wanted to make peace with it. I didn't... I'm not cultivating it. I'm not inviting it in. You're in your record, Angels of Death, too. That's why I just... There's a death thing going on. Well, death... (laughs) I mean, there certainly is. (laughs) Or mortality, anyway. Well, mortality. And also, um, look, I... It's... It's it's a little bit taboo. And... That's the other thing. Like, my family... The reason I'm struggling with it, personally, is that we never... It's Voldemort. No one would he talk about it. He will not be spoken. My parents would not talk about death no. or illness. No. It just repressed it, and we would no. not if it, it just wouldn't happen. No, and here's the thing. Me me too in many ways, um, or I see that socially in many yeah. ways. And that was also just wanting to crack that open a second for myself, even to just uh, have that space to think about it. But also, you know, uh, I listen to The Grateful Dead, and I'm not, like, bogged down by, like, The Grateful Dead. I'm not, like, there, like, bringing it you know uh, uh, they're bringing okay. death every time I say grateful oh, I death s- oh I see grateful <laughs> dead I'm like I'm like I'm a very like you know grateful dead are a rock and roll band and I, I play rock and roll music and I you know I think that for the press cycle this will be really honed in on his death but I do think this is a collection of songs and a collection oh, of rock I songs see. so grateful dead you know is inspiration um, I do yoga and I you know I, I'll go to do yoga I do it actually mostly in my house I don't really go to studios but um you do corpse pose at the end. Yeah, yeah. So corpse pose is where all the magic happens, they say. Right. And that's where you release and you practice to just let go of everything. So I feel very safe in corpse pose. It's not morbid to me. Right. It's not a morbid experience, but right. it's a peaceful experience. Um, I can play around with these ideas of like the tarot and the death card. The death card does not signify death. It signifies design, uh, death to design or giving up control or change of plans. Like what you – it's the – it's giving up what your design, the concept of your own design is. And you, it's confronting that and saying you don't actually have this control. And so these cards or these things can, you know, they were kind of inspiring for me. And like the angels of death wasn't, the angels of death is like, for me, it was a very safe concept because um, it's what happens after you've had that experience of loss. It's how life goes on, and mm, it's mm, how I see. you know. It's how flowers bloom for you in that moment. It's how you notice beautiful things. You have to be here to see them. It's right. a, it's as it's something we do as living people is experience the bittersweet silver lining of loss. So it it's in that way um, a record for my people and my people that are here. Where you go after, I don't know. I'm I don't need to write that record. I can't put my mind to it that much. I'm not. Not an opinionated person, hmm. you know. I have no idea what's going on after. That's not what I was getting at. I'm not writing it for people that aren't here. I'm. I wrote it for us that are here, for myself that is here, and um, and and I and you know those merciful. I always thought the Angels of Death and the Sisters of Mercy would do good at a bonfire. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's um it's there are blessings. And they're all around us and going forward into a situation of which I might have to encounter loss. It was a way to it, to make sure I'm bringing with me and counting my blessings as I go. And that that will be the way that I think that I'm going to survive these years that aren't guaranteed. You, I feel like we're returning to this concept of letting go of things um, because uh, one of the things that I've had to, to deal with uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Finally, in now that I'm now that life is happening and unfolding the way it is, I'm finally trying to 
um, deal with death mm-hmm. as a concept. And what someone said to me recently that sort of helped because you you said, I really want to. I'm a long distance runner here. I want to live till I'm hundred. Uh, well, which is, I mean, because there's a t- I have specific reasons for that. Well, I'll let you expand upon that in a moment. But I do think that one of the things that was said to me that is, I think we take for granted sometimes or don't think about is that everybody dies. <laughs> and on some level, uh, that's just something we put out of our minds. Uh, mm, some of yeah, us. Some uh, of us. Uh, uh, it's the way we were raised, maybe. I think you, you kind of... Sometimes you read the news uh, and and you hear of some horrific thing and you think, well, that just happened to to them, to them, to that person or to that group of people. And um, I do, yeah, I do feel like it's a very patriarchic notion. And the, which this, one? The death as the taboo. I feel like yeah. it's. Hmm. I th- I feel like if we uh, lived in the matriarchy, then the women would say that we who give life give death, and we will not let it be dark because we give life, and that we are not going to let it be taboo because it's one of the gifts that we give when we give life, right. and that you know creation and Mother Nature is, you know, um, completely. You know, she what she does what she says she, she does what she does, and you have to trust in that. And I do feel like the patriarchy has allowed these sort of taboos to exist in things that are you know there can be light. I look, I don't want to go through any of it. And like you know, I have to knock on a lot of wood. Yeah, knock now on all with the wood. This, like, yeah, sorry. Record. I'm always like, oh, that's not like. A, but that's me trying to. Um, you know, this was also as you know a punch in the face to that like patriarchal notion where I was yeah. like I shan't go forward yeah. in my life as a woman and have this scary how can you how can you make dark and fearful what we do and give Doesn't and it, but so, that's what the patriarchy you know, does generally they yeah, fear monger yeah it's fear mongering and I was like you're not going to do this to my my uh, it was you know that was my one you know when you're with creation, when you're writing and you feel powerful enough, you take things on. You go, you know, what about the one that you never get away from? Bring him to me. <laughs> you know, bring him to me. I'm in my creative omniscient goddess, right. you know, realm where we are all, you know, we are all one and it's all one and it's of the cycle. And I, I shall trust in the cycle when right. I write this record. And, you know, so F that. Mm-hmm. F that. Okay. Well, I do. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it conceptually uh, on some level, but I do want to hit back at the uh, the band aspect and the musical aspect. By the way, and this might be uh, totally out of nowhere, we were talking about the patriarchy. John Lennon. Do you like John Lennon's solo records in the seventies at all? Yeah. Do they mean something to you? Yeah, I love John Lennon's writing. I love his bridges. Yeah. I love his. Yeah, I love Lennon's writing. I do. There's a few. I know this might be kind of rudimentary uh, reference point. John Lennon, of all people, you know this, but I do think his solo records aren't really given the scrutiny sometimes that they deserve. And I've noticed a few records coming out of, uh, let's say, Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, where I'm like, oh, there really, there's something about the spirit of like George Harrison, John Lennon, post Beatles is coming through mm-hmm. on uh, records. And I thought of Angels of Death as one of them. Um, is it a muse? Are, are those oh, an influence? Oh, I said to Matt Dunn, play it like Lennon would play it. Play the drums. Really? Don't, don't stray. It's the simple... Like, That's a reference point you actually used. Oh, I said play it like Lennon would play it. Because even the way it's mixed, even <laughs> the way the 
the reverb on the like even well we were also wrestling with the live setting and right. we did a lot of that too right so th- I think that you know your your choices are a little bit you have less choices because you know and maybe that you'd recognize that from you know because McMurray probably had to do some similar Jeff McMurray tricks yeah. right. engineer producer yeah 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 so there's just something like when I think about what that liberated period for Lennon was after leaving the Beatles and feeling like he could say whatever he wanted and confront whatever was bothering him or or that he was afraid of. I hear that on this record a little bit. I hear that same, it's not a departure for you, but it's that same kind of entry point into uh, something where you feel free. Yeah. Uh, and you're with a band that's supporting that mm-hmm. that spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's all. I, I don't mean to... Oh, no. And George Harrison was also, yeah. you know, I mean, not a literal muse, but, you know, life in the material world. And, you know, you're wrestling, you know, it's philosophical. And um, and rock and roll's freedom. Like, hey, you don't get many perks, right? Like, right. there's not a coin to throw. So, but you got to have, if you're in rock and roll and you're in it for the long term, if you give up your sense of freedom, you're you're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, get more free. <laughs> like, if you're not getting more free, yeah. then, you know, I don't know, like, go home? I don't know, what do you, <laughs> like, what's the watch of things? Get more free or go home immediately. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good expression <laughs> to have. Yeah, there's just something about the sound of the record that takes me back to that sense of freedom um, and even the those sounds. Like, there was just something about that, that sound in the early 70s. I guess we know what he was like now, but that kind of Phil Spectory thing was going. I don't know. You did this in a church. I just I'm getting this reverberation mm-hmm. from this mm-hmm. record that. Well, the church that that sound is there too, and that was part of wanting to take it out of the studio. And you know, I was writing in this church and saying, I want to record in here. This yeah. sound is made for what we're doing, and um, it was messy when 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 I got like through the band together and asked Jeff to come and leave. You know, his beautiful studio yeah. and get an assistant and and the band and I had two or three rehearsals where I was like this is what I'm hearing and please hunker down on these songs yep. like nobody's having too much fun you know <laughs> metaphorically to say in terms of like mel- melodic like getting off melodically like we're hunkering down I my hunch was that if we kept tight together there that something would uh, come out of that really you know that there'd be something bigger than the sum of its parts yeah. we had to trust that right. and um the first night we got to the church on Friday and tried to set up and play a song, Jeff and uh, Simon Larchette from London, Ontario, who assisted, uh, immediately were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, this is, like, we've bitten off. Like, they were like, hold on while we figure this the out. Sound. And it was like yeah. Robbie in the hallway, you know, Johnny on the piano in the hallway, like trying to see each other basically through mirrors and try and, and all of us, you know, in our little zones in this church. And um, by Saturday, I think when... Jeff heard the songs we were going to try to play and he was like we want to try to get this right so he really we renegotiated and by Saturday morning we were set up and we just started to play and right. by Saturday night it, I have fond memories of it, of like really rocking that little church man <laughs> we really found our zone and, and it was really fun and it, it, it was fun it was like fun and you know songs can be heavy but they're songs so they're also fun did the did Jeff or the band uh, alter your idea of these songs through, throughout this process? Like, did songs change from what you had envisioned them to be? Well, tomorrow's morning. Morning, I wrote as a jangly and still perform often when I'm alone as like a more jangly guitar song with uh-huh. a harmonica. And um, Jeff was like, mm, you know, I think that 
Johnny should play piano and you should try to see if you're like not veiling the meaning a little bit. Oh, I see. And you know, like let it land a bit. Like, you know, sometimes the guitarist in me distracts from ever like, I'm like, look, I'm not saying anything. I'm playing guitar. Like it's (laughs) like nothing's happening here, but notes. And then he was like, stop with the notes and let it, (laughs) you know, land. So that change, that was Jeff's suggestion. And, And in terms of the band, you know, we rehearsed a few times. And then we had to give it up because then we got to the church and nothing of what we rehearsed made any sense because, of course, we had this new player, which was the room itself. Mm -hmm. So there was an anxiety from the the band or a few members of the band about like, oh, no, what do we do? And I don't get anxiety in that situation because I'm like, what was the point of rehearsing anyway? Sure. I don't I, I don't even usually I usually half the takes on the Pink City were the ones where I was like. We know you haven't heard it. We're just going to play it. Right. And you just follow along. Like right. Ryan Driver's piano. It's him hearing it as he goes. So, you know, but this one, I was like, just give up. Remember the gesture. Remember what we were throwing out there and, and follow the, and make space for the lyrics. You know, hunker down around the words because they have to survive this. Yeah. And they're not going to get their little mm-hmm. cushion. And uh, we ripped. We ripped it as as well as we could. I mean, the record sounds amazing, and it's it's been interesting to hear the backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been out uh, a little while now. This this album, uh, and I know it's received many uh, accolades. Uh, as we're speaking, you're nominated for the you're on the long list, I believe, for the That's right. Polaris Music Prize. Mm-hmm. So, and it was received well critically. Is there any um, anything you have read or heard about the record? that uh, you wish to dispel? Is there anything where you're like, man, people, you mentioned like, uh, now de- death is kind of following me around because of how it's been framed on some level, but is there anything for people who are about to maybe hear the record now for the first time? I know you don't want to lead people uh, into what their yeah. moments are going to be, but is there anything where you're like, I kind of wish people would stop talking about this or, or no I've I've more that it's been kind people have been very kind yeah. and you know I didn't realize one thing I didn't realize it's really interesting is that we all have death in common I had never thought of that so I was like oh right you know everybody that's listening to it is having their own reaction yes. to it from in their own world contexts and um, and it could and be fresh. It could be from the past. It could be next week. And then they'll yeah. be like, whoa, that's weird. Your like, record was in my house. And right. I'm like, okay, that's weird. But, you know, again, I'm just going to – I've already slayed those um, things. Like you protect yourself when you're a writer anyway. You get really used to people projecting stuff onto yeah. you. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and that – I have experience in that now. I'm not new at that. That's true. So yeah. I have like – a really big shield that I put on. And I had a very adverse reaction to releasing this record. A week before this record was supposed to come out, I literally shut down. I was like, I don't want to put this record out. Like I was foot dragging. And I think I intuitively sensed that it was going to be very, it was going to be hard to remain impersonal. It was going to be a very personal release for me. And I haven't had that. I've never really had to do that. I tend to be a little bit more shielded. Hmm. And I think I knew and had a very adverse reaction. Every step of the way, I was like, no, like I wouldn't be able to sleep. I was like, it's going to be so scary. I I hesitate to bring this up because I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know if you, um, well, let's see where this goes and tell me if this is out of turn. But you texted me when I was, before the record was coming out, we were going to talk. Right. And you texted me to be, and I 
I will tell you, like, I think I responded calmly, but I thought your text seemed freaked out about, you were like, I don't know, I don't know about talking, like, I don't want to, I don't know what to say. Like, you were just, and I was like, Jen, we talked before, we're friendly, like, I don't know what's going on. And and I thought that was fascinating, (laughs) because you, when you say what you're saying now, I I, I just immediately was drawn back to that moment of uncertainty. And I circled back because I knew I was doing it. I circled back and was like, Vish, whoa. Like, I circled back and was like, dude, I'm freaking about this. And hey, like, I'm not going to, you know, this is nobody's trip but mine. And I just have to kind of suss it and also and also have compassion for myself as the writer in this moment and like was at the on the brink of press and was freaked out because I didn't know how to shield myself. It would feel disingenuous to not be open to this because I didn't, maybe I didn't realize I was gonna be starting a conversation around this, but I did. And, you know, I have to kind of like walk that. But the bigger and more wonderful story is that lots of people rallied around me and saw my vulnerability and and it has been a very rewarding, um, very touching and very sweet reaction to, uh, that I've had from my close friends that have seen me release before and been like, we know this one was hard for you. And and also that said, that encouraged me as a writer to lay bare yeah. and to keep going towards those that vulnerability and, you know, and to see, and also to be wise enough to see it when I'm like almost lashing out and going, no. Yeah. And then going, yes, okay, I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> That's mine. I understand where you're coming so, from. And, and yeah. I mean, on some level it is, it is, it's a strange thing to make a thing that's personal and then just put it out there and then people tell you what they think of it or, or tell you, change them in some way. I mean, it all, it's, strange, it's an yeah. odd thing it's, that you do. Yeah, it's yeah. an odd thing. And I fight that and I, immerse myself in my community in other ways almost because there's part of me that could wonder whether I'm being self-indulgent or you know that could shame myself for sharing and you know so I structurally make sure I'm involved in my community in ways where I don't you know lose sleep over it I'm like I am being helpful I'm a good person (laughs) I'm rewarding member of community you know <laughs> and like because yeah you can turn the sword on yourself sometimes mm-hmm. and that's that's where we need to really protect our sensitive people and we need to check in on them and say hey are you carrying like more than you need to carry about this and like you know are you are you suffering with being this open a little bit and mm-hmm. then just check in and it's like taking that little temperature moments where I'm like oh I'm lashing out or I'm like having adverse reaction yeah and yeah. then just kind of saying, that's okay. Yeah. Like, keep going. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'm glad this is all working out the way it is. Well, I, I also listened to your interview with Chanel and just laughed. The laughed, Eric Chanel interview. Laughed and was like, it's fun. Was it's it funny? Great. I don't remember that being. Well, a, the breezes. Like, oh, I, the you breezes. Know, when we got into that. And then, of course, I love to hear Eric, yes. you know, chat. And he's so sweet. Such a major force in, in my life. And I know in, in for many people in Toronto. And he's missed, and I said that to him, I believe, on that episode. And uh, he's funny. He and Ryan Driver are really funny. As a collaborative unit, they're just funny. And just hearing how they, how he even (laughs) worked with him, uh, how Eric worked with Ryan on the lyrics. Anyway, yeah, no, it's good. So what's next for you, per se? I know uh, as we're speaking, it's, it's around the end of June. I know. This record has been out for around a month, and which means it's very old. 
Very old now. <laughs> like us. It's old like it's us now. It's old now. Yeah. It's, you know. Um, Time for it to get some perspective on yeah. life. Yeah. I I will, um, I have this summer where I'm not really touring. I have a few shows this summer, where mm-hmm. rock and roll shows, which is fun. Mm-hmm. So I get to play music. I played music all through May, which was really fun. And um, then I tour in the fall. So I'm kind of gearing up for that. That takes a lot of energy for me because I always leave somebody who really, really misses me when yeah, I go. Yeah, that's right. And it's very challenging to be a mother in yeah. that moment on the road. And I think that is getting to be a bit more of a nice conversation now mm. about like what's it like for moms out there but it's been you know hard and very challenging and continues to be right. so i'm bracing myself for the fall but i also um have accepted that this is what i have to do yeah and this is part of being a singer and you have to go find stages to sing on and so off i'll go and um, and then you know yeah I have music that I'm working on I hope to find oh, my wor- I hope to find a piano and sit with a piano again and yeah play music that sounds know. that all sounds be a musician that all sounds good yeah doesn't sound bad where can people learn more about Angels of Death and and you generally these days Jen um well uh, hey you're on a new label. I'm on a new label. I'm in, on in the Paradise States. of Bachelors. Yeah. Yep, in yeah. the States. So they're a good place. They've Paradise really of Bachelors. Yeah. Cushion, they've been a nice cushion for me. Um, the Brandon and Chris, uh, Brandon and Chris from that label are very supportive. And um, Brandon in particular did a lot of writing around the record and put his mind to the record and his interpretation to it. And that felt like something that hadn't been done for what I do before. And so mm-hmm. I feel really glad to be with them. And... So that's a great place to go, Paradise Ide Fix. Um, I have a webpage. Oh my gosh, I think it's JNFR. Oh, I have to look up what the address would be. So I'm not no going to advertise. Okay. Maybe there's no vowels. And um, I don't know. I mean, you can find me. If you're looking for me, you can find me. <laughs> Jennifer Castle is actually quite a Google Googleable thing to. I'm out there, you know. You're out there. People are like, "Are you on the internet?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I am." Some people would think you're too. Uh, you're a little mysterious to some people. You're a little enigmatic. I mean, at the same time, I don't think that about. People, I don't think you are. People always say that when they see me, and then they realize I'm like this bumbling kind of like friendly. Yeah, you're forthright person, yeah. but that in in my life, I think people literally picture me behind my own hair, like. <laughs> Dangling by a window somewhere, but no, in, I, you know, they just got to know you writing, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, when I'm not writing, I'm just like, hey, what's up, guys? Well, hopefully, something <laughs> like this, because you know, you've done. I know you've done a lot of print press, and you've probably done some some uh, appearances and videos and and whatever. But yeah. I hope that this experience might dispel some of that. My nerves around sharing. I think it has, or oh. my oh my mystery. Uh, my my assumed mystery. Yeah, people will just hear me for what. Yeah, I am. this is what you're like. I'm just thinking out loud yes, constantly. We all are, but you you in particular maybe. In yeah. Particular. Is there a song from Angels of Death? Angels of Death. Pardon me. That we can go out on. Something you can pick. Something I can pick. Um, hmm. Angels of Death is a nice one. The, so, the 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 title track for the album. The title track. Is there a particular reason you chose that one? Well, maybe on the heels of this conversation that maybe it would explain why I'd call the record Angels to Death because in that song, um, I think a really lovely, peaceful sentiment with aid of um, with the aid of Alperti's poetry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that in his poem, his stanza is, 
these are life's gifts in the loopholes and catacombs of time to uh, travel and glance back and see far distant replicas of ourselves perched on a mirage waving to us as if surprised to see us still alive as the seed imagines the flower and that unlocked the optimism inherent in this record and it also lodged it fell into a song called angels of death so the paradox is there for you and it's a song called angels of death reflects a record called angels of death yet has the most beautiful and peaceful sentiment of like a seed imagines a flower and is there anything more beautiful than the idea of a tiny seed courageous enough to break its little skin and grow out a, a flower it's so sweet i can't think of anything offhand it's so lovely that sounds about right all right mm-hmm. this is the title track from the wonderful new uh, album by Jennifer Castle. The song is Angels of Death. Jen, thank you so much for being back on the show, for coming to Guelph. I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you. Thanks, Vish. Thanks for having me.
That was Jennifer Castle returning for the 404th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify, YouTube, and Audioboom as well. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you wish to learn more about me or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me at vishkana. Also, you can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time, around the world at CFRU.ca, or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. That's where Jen and I met to record this episode. So there you have it. Please also consider visiting Patreon.com slash Creative Control to make a flexible monthly donation. And if you like, uh, for your trouble, for your donation, for your for your generosity... I can send you something like a t-shirt, maybe? A t-shirt or something else. Let's work it out. Once you make your Patreon pledge, send me a note. I'll figure out something I can do for you in return for your gift. Other than making the show, which I think is why you sent me the gift in the first place. But I'd like to do more. So please, send me a note and we'll work something out. Thanks again to all the in-kind support the show gets uh, from people like Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, Granddad's Donuts, and Planet of Sound. I'd like to thank my uh, dear old pal Jim Guthrie for letting me use the instrumental version of The Rest Is Yet To Come, one of his songs, to end this show each and every week. Go to jimguthrie.org for more info about him. Thanks to you for listening to the show and telling your friends about it and rating it and reviewing it positively and, and downloading episodes and subscribing. Please subscribe to the show so you know what's going on. That's all great. So thank you for that. Thanks again to Jennifer Castle for coming back on this show and having a nice chat with me. And and that's it I've got more things to come there's more episodes and stuff to do it's it's all I'm doing so it's not all I'm doing it's among the things I'm doing anyway thank you very much for listening and I will talk to you very soon bye for now What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.